0: I have I have two goals. Uh, There's two things I want to do this morning. And the first is to stir you up by way of reminder. And the second one is to impress upon you the magnificence of Jesus Christ. That's the only two things I want to do. And I want you to know that I feel completely inadequate to do that. I feel too full of sin. I feel too hyper-distracted with the way I live my life. I feel unprepared because those two things are mighty things. To stir up the people of God to live as the people of God. And to impress upon you the magnificence of Jesus Christ, what man would seek to do such a thing? Even the greatest man would fall miserably short of such a task. So we desperately need For the Holy Spirit to be present with us this morning. If it's up to men. This is what happens. Nothing is right. But we serve a living God. Who says that he gathers with his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. He is the word who was from before the beginning of the world. And so as we open up this passage. And read it together. I want our hearts, I'm inviting you to have hearts that are asking the Lord to be with us. Because if it's up to Josh, if it's up to the leaders of this church, we're going to fall miserably short. If it's up to you to listen and receive, it's not going to work. This is an intellectual exercise. If the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God is not with us this morning like Nick said don't let this morning just be this passive thing where you're here as a as an observer but we are the church of the living god and so let's participate together laying our hearts bare before the word of god first peter chapter 1 verse 8 for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whoever lacks these qualities is so near-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Given everything I have just said, I'm going to also pray for the Lord to be with us and to help us through this. Father God, uh, we come. We're gathered in your name. And I do not take lightly the task to go to the living word, and to pull it out and to present it to your people. You know me. You have searched my heart. I'm weak. I'm half-hearted. I'm easily distracted. Bless your people this morning. Despite who I am, Lord. May Jesus be magnified and glorified and may that stir the hearts of your people to exult in who you are and to commit themselves to pursuing Christ's likeness. And do that by the washing of regeneration through your Holy Spirit in our hearts and your word in our minds conform us into your likeness. As we change our thinking today, Make us like you that we might have a rich entrance into the kingdom of your son. Amen. Uh, those of you who've been in my small group, you know that I do this. And I'm going to do it um, with my words. I usually do it physically at small group. But one of the things before we start small group is I, as I stand up and I close the curtains in our living room. And then I ask people that as I'm closing the curtains to the windows to the outside world, my yard, my dirty yard, that they would close the windows of their hearts and their minds to the distractions of this world. And I'm going to ask you guys this morning, I don't have curtains to close. But we live in an age of hyper distraction and hyper information and that stuff is passing away. And you navigated a week with different things, different trials, different circumstances. Put all of that aside for the next few minutes. Make an effort in your hearts, in your hearts and in your minds right now and for the next few minutes to, to turn that off. What we're talking about this morning has eternal consequences and eternal and, and the ramifications regarding eternal rewards so, so don't think about lunch plans or what you're doing next weekend or whether or not that thing at work is going to work out focus on Jesus for the next hour I'm begging you. For the sake of your souls, close the curtain on the world as we open the word of God. When David started this series on Second Peter, he said that he's, there's three themes we've got to pay attention for, and all three of them are going to be touched on in this passage. Those uh, themes were that Peter urges the recipient's letter to live fruitful lives that are holy that will prove the reality of their election. He also warns about false teachers who will deceive believers and unsettle their faith. And then also he reassures the church that Jesus will indeed return just as he ascended and just as God has promised. All three of those we're going to touch on this morning. So I have three life truths in your handout. Um, so if you take notes... I'm going to go over the first life truth. And let me define, because all three of these life truths re- re- regard the pursuit of Christlikeness. So let me define what I mean by Christ's likeness. It's expounded on in, in verse 8. That If these qualities, Christlikeness is the having of these qualities. These qualities are what David preached on last week in verses 5 and 6. Those qualities are that you supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. That's what I mean when I say Christ-likeness. Verse 8, that, that these qualities are yours and are increasing. So, the pursuit of Christlikeness, as an expression of holding dear what Jesus has done for us, produces a secure earthly life evidenced by good works that will be rewarded in eternal life far beyond anything we can imagine. I'm going to say that again. The pursuit of Christ likeness, of having those qualities and them increasing in your life as an expression of holding dear what Jesus has done for us produces a fruitful and secure earthly life evidenced by good works that will be rewarded in eternal life, far beyond anything we can imagine. There's a motive there that I said as an expression of holding dear what Jesus has done for us. That's the motive. That's the right motive of pursuing Christlikeness. I'm going to ask you to turn to Titus. There's five T books in the New Testament, right in sequence: First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy. Titus is the last one. So if you would turn to Titus, and then also if you're able to set a bookmark in your app, or stick a finger, stick a piece of paper in here, because we're actually going to return to this passage two more times. Titus, chapter three, four through eight, and then fourteen. So. Turn to Titus chapter 3, 4, sorry, chapter 3, 4 through 8, and then, and then 14. This is what it says. But when the goodness and love and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life hallelujah the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things that those who have believed in God listen to the shift may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And look at verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Did you catch that? Because of all that Christ has done for you, devote yourself to good works. It is not the other way around. It is not devote yourself to good works so that Christ might redeem you. It is because he has redeemed you. Do you remember what Jesus said right before he gave up his spirit? It is finished. All that God requires, he has accomplished on your behalf. You cannot be more saved than the moment you trust in him. So the motive for pursuing Christ's likeness must be because of what he has done. You're expressing a gratefulness about that and so you devote yourself to good works. Does that make sense? That's the motive as an expression of holding dear what Jesus has done for us. The result is that it produces a fruitful and secure earthly life. Where do I get that? Well, verse 8 says, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. So if you pursue Christlikeness, the result is you are effective for the kingdom of God. You are bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. And then look down at verse 10. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. It does not mean you will never make a mistake. It means that you will not abandon your faith. You will not prove to be those who were never among the people of God because you've gone out from them. If you understand what Jesus has done for you, commit yourself to good works. And in doing so, you will have a life that is fruitful. And you will be shown to be the elect, the church of God. And you will never fall because he will keep you and he will sustain you. Matthew Henry, about this verse, said, The apostle proposes two particular advantages that will f- attend and follow upon diligence in the work of a Christian. Stability and grace... And a triumphant entrance into glory. Stability and grace is such a cool phrase. Stability and grace. Because the very nature of grace is that it's something you receive, and we think about that as a passivity thing. That I just get grace. I get grace when I screw up. But there's stability in grace for the believer who's pursuing Christ. Because you're constantly going to the means of grace. Like like when you read the word, when you pursue Christ-likeness, when you do not neglect the church and the assembling of ourselves together, you're being sharpened, you're being supplied, you're being encouraged, you're being built up. And the result is there's a stability in your life. Sometimes we feel like this because of circumstances. But what Christ does as we pursue him, as we, as we pursue the means of grace that become stabilized. That though we may get a childhood cancer diagnosis regarding one of our children, we do not end up down here because we know the promises of God are true, and he will sustain us through that. The result of pursuing Christ-likeness, fruitful and secure earthly life, and the reward is verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Richly provided for you. Um, There's a verse in Hebrew says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him must believe in him and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You must believe in a reward. That's interesting. But let me give you some, don't just take that one verse. Let me give you a few more verses. You can just jot these down. I'll read them. But jot them down if you want to read them yourself. Isaiah 40.10 says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. God will come with vengeance on the evildoers, and he will come armed with a reward for those who have served him. First Corinthians 3, eight, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Second Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Jesus said it himself in Mark 10, 30. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Revelation 22.12 says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So that's why I say, the pursuit of Christlikeness as an expression of holding dear what Jesus has done for us produces a fruitful and secure earthly life evidenced by good works that will be rewarded in eternal life far beyond anything we can imagine. There's a flip side to that. That's the second life truth. The pursuit of Christlikeness as an attempt to establish right standing before God or gain assurance of God's love or to be noticed by others. That produces a life of empty Dead deeds and results in being cast to the outer darkness upon God's judgment. The pursuit of Christ-likeness, so like we say that that's a good thing, to pursue Christ-likeness. But doing that as an attempt to obtain or establish right standing with God, or to gain assurance of God's love, or be noticed or praised by others, produces a life of empty, dead deeds. The Pharisees were kings of this, by the way. And that results in being cast into outer darkness upon God's judgment. See, one of the bad motives there, establish a right standing before God, is the confusion of justification versus sanctification. We pursue Christ's likeness as a means of participating with the Spirit, in sanctification. But if you pursue Christ's likeness as a means to be justified or made right with God, the word has much to say about that. Let me remind you, go back to that Titus passage, Titus 3, 4 through 7. But when the goodness and love and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not, not, not because of Works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs. And then Paul says it again in Galatians, Galatians chapter five, verse four through six, he says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But listen to this. But only faith working through love. Do you remember what those qualities are? And you remember what the last one is? Love. So, do not confuse justification and sanctification. If you do not have a right, if you know in your spirit that you do not have a right standing with God, it is not by pursuing Christ-likeness that you obtain that. It is by crying out to him, pleading with him, and doing that until he answers you. By by opening the word and wrestling and saying, These things are not true of me, God. Make them true of me. And crying out to him. And he will answer you. He will meet you in your prayer closet. And it might take an hour. It might take 10 days. But if you persist in crying out to him and saying, I don't love you, Lord. I don't have an affection for you. I don't think I have the Holy Spirit. And you wrestle with him. And you say, save me. And you plead with him. Work in me. He will show up at some point and you will have a heart that gets absolutely overwhelmingly full of love and of the Holy Spirit and an understanding that Jesus died for you. And in that moment, you will have this washing of love of God in your heart. And you go out to your nearest family member, and you, with tears running down your face, you'll say, The Lord has opened my eyes. It is not through obedience that that happens. It's through a coming to the end of yourself. It's what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You must become poor of spirit to know, I don't have it in me. There's nothing good in me. Jonathan Edwards said, the only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And when you understand that, you realize, What in the world was he doing dying for me? And you will say, thank you, Jesus. But that doesn't happen unless you wrestle with God in prayer and you cry out to him. Today is the day of salvation. If you, if if I'm describing you, then go home. Don't wait. Stand up. Slip out the back. Go wrestle with the Lord in prayer until he saves you because he will. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So do not mix justification and sanctification. If you've already done that, then I'm saying to you, pursue Christ-likeness. Stop being satisfied with the things of this world because they're passing away. And I'm not whipping you, saying shame on you. What I'm saying is, well, I'll get to it. That's the first bad note of mixing up justification and sanctification. Another bad motive I said is by gaining assurance of god 's love, and I, I wrestled with the wording of that one i don 't know if I liked it. oh, I got to be careful with the camera i 'm walking over here <laughs> sorry sorry uh video people <laughs> i'm getting worked out you you've been you've been pretty cool you haven 't uh pointed it out i'm sorry God oh, man i'm sorry <laughs> um so that's a bad motive, establishing a right standing before God. That's mixing up justification and sanctification. The other bad motive, assurance, in order to get an assurance of God's love, what, where does that come from? I wrestled until I really was like, no, this is right. The way we gain assurance of God's love is not by pursuing Christ-likeness and then saying, oh, yeah, no, like, I've got this down now. I'm really in a good rhythm here. God loves me because I've really got it going. It's not how we have assurance. If one of you came to me and said, man, I'm really struggling with assurance of God's love, I would say go read First John. We get assurance from the Spirit and from His Word, not from our obedience. We get assurance from God's Spirit in our hearts and from His Word, not from our obedience. First John 4. 13-19 through 19 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in his love abides in God and God abides in him. For by this love is, for by this is love perfected with us so that we may be, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen to this. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. So, do not pursue Christ-likeness as a means of becoming right with God. Do not pursue it as a means of gaining assurance. Instead, wrestle with him in prayer until the Spirit does this work in 1 John. And also, be terrified of pursuing Christ-likeness from a motive that wants to be noticed by others or praised by others. That's called hypocrisy. Matthew 23 says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then later in that same chapter, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you will also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So those are bad motives to pursue Christ-likeness. Do not do that. Because that comes with hard, hard results. Again, Jesus says in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many right works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The justified person knows God, and God knows him. And if the Holy Spirit has been put upon you, and washed you, and ministers to you, You are known by God. But if you enter into the celestial city by another way, by climbing over the wall, they will find you and they will say, you have no part here. Jesus told that parable of the guy who entered into the wedding feast. After the original invitees didn't come, so the invitation went to everybody in in the town and there was a guy at the wedding feast feasting, and they came and said, how come you're not in your wedding clothes? He'd come in by a different way, not understanding what was happening. Don't let that be you. Enter through Christ, and through the Holy Spirit giving you assurance. Do not enter by trying to get there on your obedience I do not get there by getting everything looking good on the outside. Here's the third life truth. The failure to pursue Christ-likeness is either evidence of you having not been regenerated by the Spirit of God, or that sin and or false teaching has caused you to think too little of Jesus and too lightly of the cross. The failure to pursue these qualities in your life, that they be yours and increasing, is evidence of something. So if you're here this morning and you, I pray that it has been the case, that everyone here has, has said, am I pursuing Christ's likeness? Like I want, I want every one of you, husbands, I want you to ask your wives this afternoon, do you see evidence of me pursuing Christ's likeness? Moms, ask your children. Like I'm getting into it right now. Because I want this to take root in us. So, so ask your family. Ask a really close friend. Do you see evidence of me pursuing Christ's likeness? I trust the spirit to use that. It will probably produce some hard conversations. Let me give you some lay of the land here though. Cause if the answer is, uh, I remember this time eight years ago where you did this and that. That's not a good answer. If the answer is no, man, like I haven't really been pursuing Christ likeness much. I can't really. Lay it out for you. There's something going on. It may be that you have not been regenerated by the Spirit of God. I've addressed that this morning. I've said go wrestle with the Lord in prayer and answer and do it until He answers you. I get that by the way from that same Titus 3 passage. But when the goodness of the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared he saved us not because it works on us by righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior that's where I getting that you might not be pursuing Christ likeness because you have not been washed by the Holy Spirit but to the degree that you are a believer and your spouse says to you yeah dude Haven't seen a lot of pursuing Christ-likeness lately. And I'm I'm gonna challenge you that that's because of sin and or false teaching, false teaching, bad thinking. You're here because you go to Agape and I'm not aware of any false teaching that's actively happening, but you have lines of thinking that may be in line with false teaching and you may not realize it. Look at verse 9 of our passage again. Whoever lacks these qualities. So again, if you ask your spouse or if you've examined your own heart, and you're like, yeah, I haven't really been pursuing Christ's likeness. Verse 9 says, if you lack these qualities, you're so nearsighted that you're blind. Blind. Do you know anything about that, Sam? Feeling blind? Listen to this. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. There's a, there's a really, uh, weird passage in Romans. Well, well, it's in the Old Testament, but it's quoted in Romans as Paul is doing a doctrinal exposition. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. I kicked around this idea with Jennifer last night. Esau. So so let me say this, too, for context. This little kid who won't sit still, Jake Allen. He is my mini-me. He is identical in looks and disposition. Everything that Joshua Dean is, Jake is 120% of that. His nickname is Turd Bucket. My nickname growing up was Ugly Bugly. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so if I'm weird, it's because of that psychological damage that my mom did to me. Jake is awesome. I love that kid. He's just like me. I really hated the idea of naming one of my children Jacob. Until I really understood that Jacob is every man. Every believer. He was a scoundrel. He was a thief. He was a liar. And then God got a hold of him. And he wounded him. And Jacob walked differently. But he didn't go by Jacob. He was given a new name. And he still had those same tendencies. He still wrestled with the flesh. But he was given a promise. A promise that he would see glimpses of in his life, but would be ultimately realized generations after him. Jacob is every Christian. We are scoundrels. We are scoundrels. And then God gets a hold of us and he wounds us and we walk differently. There's something about us where that person's wrestled with God and we have a new name. So Jake, I am proud to have a son named Jacob because it's a picture of the gospel. Jacob, have I loved Esau? Have I hated what's going on there? I don't know. I haven't really spent a lot of time exploring this. Just one conversation last night with, with Jennifer, but I think I'm onto something. Esau so lightly regarded his promise and his inheritance that he was willing to sell it for one meal in the moment. The only thing I care about is right now. I want to eat right now. This future thing of like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be the heir and I'm going to have a birthright and this promise, like whatever. I can't see it right now. I'll take the meal that's hot that will fill my belly. That's what I'll take. So he so lightly regarded. His promise and his inheritance that he was like, yeah, I'll trade that. Yeah, it, yeah sure, man. Not going to help me now. Versus Jacob, who, even though he was a conniver and a like a little weasel, so esteemed the promise that he would use any means that he, dang it, he would use any means to get it. It doesn't, I'm not saying go be a scoundrel. I'm saying the opposite of that. But what I'm saying is look at the difference. Esau so lightly regarded it, he would trade it for a meal. Jacob would move heaven and earth to get this promise, to get this inheritance guaranteed to him through the birthright. That, there's something going on there. God loves the heart of the person who looks to the future and says, I will do anything to obtain that. And God is not impressed by the heart who says, I don't really care about this future thing I can't see. I want what will fill my belly now. So if these qualities are yours, they keep you. If you lack these qualities, you're nearsighted. Nearsighted means you only see what's right here means you're living your life in such a way that this is what matters to you, which is essentially makes you blind because you forget what Jesus has done for you. That this is your focus. You're forgetting that Jesus cleansed you from your former sins. You might be doing this. You might be so nearsighted. And say, oh, woe is me, I'm so sinful, I can't get it all together. Oh man, look at how terrible I am. Forgetting what Christ has done for you. That he's cleansed you from those things. He's called you and prepared beforehand good works for you to walk in them. Or you might be so nearsighted by saying, ooh, that looks really nice, I'd like to pursue that. Oh, that will make me feel good in this moment. Forgetting that God has cleansed you and called you to something much higher than whatever this world will offer you. I also say false teaching, not just sin, but false teaching, might lead you to think little of Jesus or lightly of the cross, because that's what we're going to hear about later in in Second uh, Peter. But false prophets this is Second Peter chapter two. False prophets are also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. False teaching is dangerous. We should not abide false teachers. And bad, false teaching leads to bad thinking. We should be wary of bad thinking because even though you may not be submitting yourselves to bad, false teaching, bad ideas can still creep into your heart and the back of your mind. That thought that says, you know what you deserve. You know, you've worked really hard. You you know, you, you can indulge a little. There's bad ideas that cause us to forget what Christ has done for us. And we lightly esteem his precious blood that was poured out for us. False teaching is, false teachers are a big deal. Paul warned the elders, I think at Ephesus when he was leaving them for the last time. He warned about wolves coming in amongst their midst. And Revelation warns about the Antichrist leading, even if it was, as if it were possible to lead the elect away, he would even do that. But bad thinking creeps in all the time. Our sin keeps us from pursuing Christ-likeness. That's why Hebrews says, Exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, that none of you may become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Ask your spouse if you're pursuing Christ-likeness and exhort your spouse to pursue Christ-likeness. Because failure to do so and failure to manage your own affections can find you in a place where your heart has become hard and cold, and it will take something drastic to get your attention. Hebrews 10 later says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And then it says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. My prayer is that Agape would become a community of believers more than what we have been, where we encourage and exhort one another daily. All the more as we see the end times approaching. And that we remind each other to fear the Lord. To not lightly esteem what Jesus did when he wrestled in the garden. And then he went and was killed. Tortured and then killed. That he took on sin. That he who knew no sin became sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That he drank The cup of the wrath of God for those who would trust in him. That he poured out his blood though he had committed no sin. And he said, it is finished. Spend some time today meditating on the reality that there are times when you think too little of Jesus spend some time considering what Jesus had done and ask yourself, do I take this lightly? And don't let that turn it into this beat-yourself-up fest. Do that to the degree it promotes contrition and then look at what Jesus did for you. Consider the cross. Read the Gospels. Read the account of Jesus before Pilate. Read the scriptures that said and he cried out my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Consider Was it Peter and John running to the tomb? Because they hoped against hope that maybe Jesus actually had risen from the dead. A couple times ago when I preached, I preached on this passage. It's very fitting for today's passage. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And I'm just going to leave you with this. The very first verse in Second Peter. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So if you've if, if you wrestled with God and the Holy Spirit has confirmed you that you are one of his children, you have a faith that is equal to that of Peter's. So if that's you, and you, you feel like I've beat you up, consider that you have obtained a faith of equal standing with Peter's. That all that Jesus accomplished on the cross, he accomplished for you just as much as he did for Peter. And then look at the very last verse of 2 Peter grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. One of my favorite sermons of all time is Paul Washer preaching through Second Corinthians 5. I commend it to all of you. It's called, Our Ambition is to Please Him. And one of the things he says in that verse, it says, Sorry, one of the things he says in that sermon is, I know, I know there's some of you here that are going to say, Oh, my ambition is so impure. I'm so unholy. And that's not the point of this. He says, the point is to say, with the strength I have left, I will serve him. And then if you go out and the very next day you do the same things you did the day before, you, take joy in the fact that God's mercies are new every morning and you say again, with the strength I have left. So that's what I leave you with. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, first, make sure that you have. Wrestle with the Spirit. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and pursue Christlikeness. Nick, you said it's up to me to close the service. I've charged you with asking your spouse or your children or a close friend. I'm going to appeal to you now. The worship team is going to come up and they're going to play a song. And I'm going to invite you to sing... If you just feel so moved to sing. But what I would like you to do as they play, let your heart worship the Lord and ask Him, am I pursuing Christ's likeness? Examine your motives if you are and if you're not, Meditate on the goodness of God. Of Let me say it like this. Meditate on the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So they're going to play a song. Sing if you must. But if your heart is still, then my appeal to you is have a clear conscience before God. Am I pursuing Christ's likeness, Lord? If I am, why am I doing it? And if I'm not, why am I doing it? Is it because I don't know you? Or is it because sin and bad thinking has caused me to think little of Jesus and to take the cross as a small matter?